0: And I say thank you to you all for coming to this Bible League uh, meeting and to Mr Toms for arranging this meeting here and I trust that it will be a blessing for each of us as we gather here tonight around God's Word under the, the banner as it were of the Bible League. Um, the work of the Bible League continues. Perhaps nothing much changes. Nothing new, no new inventions perhaps. Well our editor is very hard at work preparing the Bible League magazine every quarter, and sadly to say he's not without material. There are things happening, things taking place in the professing church that need to be exposed, need to be addressed. In the last few editions there has been the controversy that is developing in many evangelical circles where a literal six day creation is being questioned again. And so he has, helpfully, with the help of others, uh, brought some articles on that. Uh, going back, there were other issues that have taken place. And it's a very useful magazine to keep abreast as to what's happening in, in the Christian world today. And sadly, there are many things happening that ought not to take place. This downward downgrade uh, is still occurring. The Bible League, as perhaps many of you will know, was established shortly after the death of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he was a man in London who experienced a lot of people wanting to uh, bring controversy and to bring corruption. And there were all sorts of questions around the legitimacy of the Word of God, whether it was authoritative, whether it was sufficient. And he made a stand in his day. And in many ways we're following on from that stand to make sure that we stand upon the Word of God, that we hold to the Word of God, and that the word of God is authoritative to us and sufficient in all things. And so we continue with the Lord's help in that way. Many will call us divisive. Many will call us sectarian. Well, it is not us that have gone a different way. It's sadly so many others. And so do pray for us in this work that we would have that grace and that love and that wisdom And that we would have that discerning spirit uh, to bring uh, to the people the the issues that are most pressing. Can I commend a couple of booklets at the back? Uh, Words of Truth number 8, this is the latest one that's come out. Lessons from the charismatic movement, there's quite a few copies on the back table. And also the Words of Truth number 7. If you're wondering why the church and the evangelical world is in the state it is today, then Pastor F.J. Harris, he has written a very helpful book that has chronicled the events that have taken place over the past 50 or 60 years. And so it's well worth reading to get an understanding as to why we are in the situation we find ourselves in. There's also some other books at the back as well. I commend those to you as well. But the, in, uh, the, but the website of the Bible League, the bibleleaguetrust.org it is a very useful resource with all of the, the articles available online. So... It will be worthwhile if you have an opportunity to have a look on that website. Well, the Bible League is a society that is based upon the Word of God and for the promotion of the Word of God and for the defence of the Word of God. And so, without any further ado, let us come now to the Scriptures. We are turning to John chapter 15 and our text is found in verse number 5. John chapter 15 and the text is... In verse number five. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. And it's really that last phrase that we have in verse five. For without me ye can do nothing. That will form our text tonight. As you will be familiar, no doubt, The Lord Jesus, he is giving one of these I am statements. In John's Gospel we have a number of I am statements that he gives. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. And so on and so forth. And here in John 15 we have a lovely description of Christ and his people where he says, I am the vine or I am the true vine. And we have this description of how there is that union with Christ, with his people. And so there is this organic relationship that they are one together. And so it is a wonderful picture of Christ and his people. And so the analogy that the Lord gives, the picture that he gives for us, is that he is that vine and his people. They come off out of the side of him as those branches. And so the branch has all of its life, vitality, and fruit bearing comes only because it is joined to the vine itself. A lone branch cast to one side won't produce any fruit whatsoever. Rather we see if we were to turn into verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. And so we have very solemn words as to the lot of those who are outside of Christ. But for the child of God that is joined to Christ they have life and they have that grace and blessing that flow from him. In this parable we have the heavenly father being described as the husbandman And there he tends the vine, he cares for the vine. There will be times of pruning, and the purpose of that pruning is not to destroy, it is not to break down, it's not to cut off and discard, but it's so that the vine might be even more fruitful than it would have been previously. And so when trials and difficulties come in the life of the believer, these are there to increase our faith. These are there to increase our dependence upon the Lord. These are there to increase our fruitfulness for him. It is not just out of vengeance that the Lord will come with these means of discipline. This parable comes toward the end of the Lord's earthly ministry and the Lord is here in quite a lengthy discourse uh, spending time with his disciples before he will go to Calvary. He has already instituted the Lord's Supper and there he has kept the Passover meal and now he has instituted the Lord's Supper demonstrating that he is the Passover lamb that he is going to be that lamb slain for his people and those that are hiding under him hiding under his spilt blood that they would be saved. And the Lord gives to his people that enduring memorial service of the Lord's Supper that reminds us of what he has done on our behalf. And so these disciples, they're very anxious. The Lord has told them that he is going to go away from them and imminently imminently he will leave them. Verse 1 of chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. you believe in God? Believe also in me. And so there's fear and trepidation as to what the future is going to hold. And so the Lord is spending time with them in a very careful and a very intimate fashion, making sure that they understand all that is going <laughs> to take place. And so, as we come uh, through chapter 16 and chapter 17, we find that then the events will take over, he will be arrested, and then he will be led to Calvary, where he will die on the cross uh, for the sin of his people. But in chapter 15, we have this wonderful picture of Christ united with his people. And our text is found in verse 5, for without me ye can do nothing. These are words that we need to be reminded of very frequently. These are things that we easily forget. We so often forget how weak we are, how vulnerable we are, how liable we are to fall and to To fail, we think, perhaps maybe not verbalising it, we think we can do all things, but we need to be brought back to this truth, that without Christ, we can do nothing. And so I want us to think about three simple things this evening. Firstly, this text is a very humbling word. Secondly, it is a liberating word. And thirdly, it is a strengthening word. It is a humbling word, a liberating word, and a strengthening word. So the phrase that we have in verse 5 comes to us and it tells us that we are utterly unable to save or to help ourselves in matters spiritual. Without me ye can do nothing. He doesn't say without me you can do some things or you could do a little bit. He comes and he says very clearly, without any shadow of doubt, without me, ye can do nothing. And so we are dependent upon Christ for every spiritual blessing that we have. In fact, we are dependent upon him for all things. Doesn't mean that we always pay attention to it, doesn't mean that we are always aware of it. But we've all eaten today, we've all drunk water and fluid today, we have health and strength, we have security, we have so much, but all of this comes from the good hand of God. And if God were to take those things away from us, then we would have nothing. The very air that we breathe is a gift from God. And so, in a temporal sense, we cannot do anything without the Lord's. But when we think specifically about the work of salvation and upon spiritual matters, how true it is, without Christ, we can do nothing. The branch that is described here is only ever going to be fruitful when it is joined to the vine. If it's cut off, if it's removed, then it will wither and it will die. There may be what appears to be life in it for a time But in time, that will evaporate and it will die and it will decay. The Lord is saying to his people that we can do nothing without him. And this goes against the natural heart. And this goes against how we want to respond. Most of us, if not all of us, don't like to be told what to do or not to do. A child, if you tell them that they've got to do it this way... They want to do it the other way. And it's not just children that this affects. It can affect older folk as well. They don't like to be told what to do. They don't like to be told that they're not able to do something that they were once able to do. Or perhaps it's not wise to do that any bit longer. We want to be in charge and in control of our own destinies. We want to make our decisions ourselves. But the Lord here is making it very clear that if we are to be pleasing in the sight of God if we are to be joined to God, if we are to have peace with God, then it will not be because of what we do. It can only be because of what Christ has done. The only way that we can stand complete in the presence of God is by having our sin washed away in that precious blood of Christ and being clothed in his perfect righteousness. There is no way that we can make it our own way. How many funerals have you heard about where the person has died and at the funeral service, they don't want hymns, they don't want preaching, they don't want the word of God read or anything like that, but they want to hear some secular music. And the most popular thing to have at a funeral, generally speaking in this country, is that song by Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way. People think that they will get to heaven or wherever they think they're going because of what they have done. But we cannot do it our way. We're not good enough to do it our way. We cannot determine the path ourselves. We have a complete inability to save ourselves or even to help ourselves in the matter of our salvation. This one verse in verse 5 completely destroys that notion that people have that we are somehow cooperators in our own salvation, that somehow God does his bit and we do our bit and together we get to heaven. No, we are not contributors to our own eternal life. It is only because of what Christ has done. And this is very humbling. And this is a a, a thing that we find, that our pride is affected. We see our inability to save our weakness in these matters. And without Christ there is no salvation, there is no eternal life, there is no way of escape. And this is a very humbling word. But this is humbling to God's people. It's not just humbling to the world, but it's humbling to God's people. Here John is recording the events that the Lord was speaking to his disciples. And again, it's humbling for them. Why? Because even in the Lord's work, we can find ourselves being tempted to think that everything is down to us. That it's up to us to do this, that and the other. We think that our wisdom... It is all important that we have enormous reservoirs of strength to do what we want to do. And we sometimes have the attitude that it's all down to us. If a meeting is successful, well, of course, it was the brilliance of the preacher. I don't believe that for one minute. If uh, numbers, people come in, it's because our strategy has worked in getting folk in. No, without me. The Lord says He can do nothing. The only way that we'll know the blessing of God is if the Lord is in it. And so we have to be humbled. We have to recognize that we are weak vessels and that we have no ability of ourselves to succeed. Now people may say, "Well, I've got these gifts. I've got this expertise. These are all God-given, and so all glory must go to him. And so there is no room for boasting of ourselves. When we think about these words, without me you can do nothing. How they need to be impressed upon our hearts, how they need to be inscribed across our pulpit lecterns to remind us continually of our weakness and that we need to depend entirely upon the Lord. And so what can be done? For the sinner, when they realise they have no hope within themselves, well, the only option is to plead for mercy. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. There's no room for listing any kind of qualifications as to why we may be a suitable candidate for salvation or why we might be a good choice to be an heir of salvation. There's none of that. The only way is by coming through Christ. For the believer, that daily dependence upon the Lord. Every decision, seeking the guidance of God. Remembering constantly how weak we are. Remembering how liable we are to sin and to fall and to stumble. Remembering how weak the flesh is and how beguiling sin and how tempting Satan can be. How we need to remind ourselves without Christ We can do nothing. And for the church, every ministry done not trusting in men, not trusting in our endeavours, but done trusting and looking to the Lord. So this word of our Saviour is very humbling. But it's also, secondly, very liberating. The Lord here is not expecting his people to do something that they are unable to do. He tells them very clearly that the only way they can have success, that the only reason that they can be fruitful, is by being joined to him. And so he said, without me you can do nothing. And so there is a liberation here. We are not striving after the impossible and never reaching the mark. But we are to depend upon and draw from the life and the vitality of the vine itself. For the sinner attempting to find the favour of God through effort and work, it will never end in completion. You think about Martin Luther. And when he was striving to have peace with God, he tried all kinds of things to find that peace. He tried going into the monastic life. He tried doing penance. He tried this. He tried that. Nothing brought him peace. And then he comes to his senses, as it were, and he realises it's not what I have done, but what Christ has done for me. I was in an assembly the other week, and uh, the school is where my daughter is in attendance, and the head teacher. uh, She has this little ditty that she says to her children. It's a Christian school. She says to them, it's not about what you do, do, do. It's about what the Lord Jesus Christ has already done. And how many people are trying to do and not get anywhere? And they're always going to end up in failure. And so this verse reminds us to stop trying and begin to trust. And in the life of the believer they can look back to that time when the Lord dealt with them and they realise that their effort comes to nothing. And it's all about what Christ has already done. I listened to a sermon uh, a couple of years ago by Vernon Hyam and he was preaching on Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 and he kept emphasising this point not of works and he, he said this probably about a dozen times in the course of his ministry and how we need to be reminded it's not by what we do but by what Christ has done and so when we are brought to that realisation of this, that Christ, he has done it all That he was say at Calvary, it is finished. What comfort comes to the soul. The same goes in the life of the church. It can be easy to fall into the mindset of the world. And in many cases that is why the Bible League is still in existence. They are still trying to remind the church to come back to the scriptures to see our weakness and our vulnerability And it is not to be going down the mindset of the world where we are driven by goals, targets, plans, formulas, strategies and directive. It can be very overwhelming. It can become very mechanical. The idea is if you do it this way, that way and the other way then success will be guaranteed. If you follow this course then out will come converts at the end. That perhaps is a A rather oversimplified way of looking at the Alpha course, for example, but that is what happens. People go through the course and there's perhaps an expectation at the end that they are then converted. We're not on a conveyor belt. We're not going through some task or ceremony to churn out the Lord's people. No, we need the Spirit of God to be at work in the heart. We need the Lord to do his work on his people. There can be times when we feel pressurised to look at the world. We can feel pressurised to look at other churches. We see this congregation down the road and they have a thriving children's work. Or this church, they are overflowing with people. They have to have two services. Very often the case is they can have a couple of services in the morning. You won't see them in the evening. The prayer meeting is empty. Well, we, we must be very careful that we're not comparing ourselves to what others are doing. And the Lord is here making a liberating word to his people. Without me, ye can do nothing. We can be encouraged. Here we find true liberty and freedom. It's not just about getting our advertising methods just right. It isn't delivering the message in just the right way, in just the right atmosphere, having the right kind of music to Uh, Hype up the atmosphere. Unless Christ is in the midst. Unless Christ is at work. Then all these other things will fail and falter. Do you remember the words in Psalm 127 and verse number 1? Except the Lord build the house, they labour in vain that build it. And this comforting word from our Saviour to his people that without him, we can do nothing. We look out upon the church of Jesus Christ. We look out upon our land and we see how things have become very difficult. It is a very discouraging scene. We see and we testify that we feel that we are the remnant. We feel that we are a disappearing remnant, perhaps. Well, if we believe and imagine that everything is down upon us then we are going to be overwhelmed and be led to despair but the lord says without me you can do nothing so well, this brings us on to our third point how that this is a strengthening word it's humbling it's liberating but it's far more than that it is a wonderfully powerful and strengthening word for God's people. Let's take the example of the sinner. They are told, without me, without Christ, they can do nothing. But with him, what do they have? Well, with him they have forgiveness of sin. With him they are joined to him, and therefore they have his power. With him they have eternal life. With him they have every reason to be comforted, and to be strengthened. When we think about our Saviour, He is one that was concerned for those with needs. He came and He was a Saviour of sinners in Matthew 1.21. Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. Notice the certainty of that word shall. He shall save His people from their sins. It's not open to speculation. It is not an indefinite kind of term. There is something concrete about it. He shall do it. And Interestingly, if you go through the word of God and you come to those shall promises, whoa, what comfort they are. You can think about Romans 10, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or in Acts chapter 16, when the Philippian jailer speaks about how what must he do? He is told to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so when we think about what we have in Christ, without him we can do nothing, without him we have nothing, but in him, oh, what blessings we have. If you return to Romans chapter 8 and you look at the end parts there, you will see the security that the child of God has. That there is nothing that can separate the child of God uh, from the love of Christ. We find how that uh, the devil himself cannot remove us from that hand of God. And so those that come to Christ, those that are found in him, oh what blessings they have. Eternal life, sins forgiven, compassion, mercy, victory over sin, death and hell and over all the works of the devil. And so outside of him, there's no hope. Verse 6 so shows us about being cast into the fire. Picture their hell. Solemn, sobering words. But in him, what hope there is. Have you ever considered some of the individuals in Scripture and how unlikely they were to be saved? Think about Abraham. He was a man who was childless. And he was a man who would have been a sun worshipper. And yet God comes to him and tells him that he is going to be the father, not just of one child, but the father of many nations. And in fact, from his seed, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. An unlikely character to be used in the purposes of God. You could take Jacob, for example. He was a usurper, he was a swindler, he stole his brother's birthright. He pretended to be his brother and gained the the blessing from his father Isaac and yet he would be called Israel, a prince with God. You could look at Moses. There was a man who killed somebody else and yet was used by God to lead his people out of Egypt to the borders of the promised land. Think about Rahab the harlot in Jericho or Ruth the Moabitess or King Manasseh. The wickedness that he did. The list could go on and that's just the Old Testament. You come to the New Testament, you can think about the disciples. Who did the Lord call? He called Levi, sitting at the the seat of custom. There was a man who had turned his back upon the heritage of Israel. He was serving the enemy for financial gain. And yet Christ calls him. You have Simon Zelotus, a nationalistic party member who was very concerned with his nation's own national sovereignty. Perhaps in some eyes he may be viewed as a terrorist. Well, he was called and used by Christ. You have Peter, a fisherman, and yet there at Pentecost he is preaching to the masses. You have others that are saved. You have Zacchaeus and the demoniac. You have those who are dead and they are brought to life and saved. You could look at the early church, and perhaps the most shining example of someone who, in the eyes of the world, is so uh, notorious that they do not deserve salvation is saved by the grace of God. You have Saul of Tarsus. There he was, a chief of sinners. That was his description of his own life. The persecuting Pharisee, the one that was hauling off Christians into prison. And there he is transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we think about the gospel, as we think about the the privilege that we have of preaching the word, or when the Lord blesses and when the Lord works, he can say to the uttermost, without me, ye can do nothing. But when he works, he can do amazing things. He can bring to pass things that we could never have even thought about or even conceived And so there is that hope for the vilest. He saves to the uttermost. Those that come to him, they will be helped. Those that come to him, they will be saved. Those that come to him, they will be found with him in heaven. This word is strengthening to the individual believer. Very quickly in the Christian life, I'm sure you are no different, but we find... We realize how weak we are. We see our failures. We see where we think that we, are, where we know we ought to be and where we find ourselves to be. Yet we are joined to one who has defeated Satan. We are joined to one who has perfectly obeyed and complied with the law of God. We have one who has resisted temptation. We have one who has prevailed in prayer. We have one who is at one with the Father. We have one who is holy and undefiled. We have one that we are joined to who has been resurrected from the dead. We have one that we are joined to who has all power and authority committed unto him. We are joined to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. What strength, what life, what blessedness we have. When we think about all of the problems and difficulties in life, there are many. And if we were to go around the room and talk about the problems that we face, or to recall some of the issues that people have gone through that we, we know and love, they would be immense. And we might wonder as to, how is it we could get through tomorrow? How is it we can face this situation? Well, for the child of God, they are joined to Christ. They have the victorious saviour, mighty to save, joined to them. And so he cannot, he will not let any of his people go. And if we think about death itself, it is no longer the king of terrors that it would be, and it ought to be to the unsaved individual, because the one that is joined to Christ has, the, has that victory over the grave. We are reminded that we ought to just consider a word of warning at this point. There are many today that make a profession, they make a statement that they are Christians. But when you look at their manner of life and their walk in this world, it tells a different story. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ addresses this. He would say that there will be those on that last day that will say, Lord, Lord. And he says that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of God. Just saying something isn't enough. But what we see here is of adjoining one with the other. There is the vine, there is the branch, they are joined together, and if that has taken place, then there will be fruit. Now there may not be fruit as much as we would like, and if we're honest with ourselves, we are not as fruitful as we ought to be. But if we are in Christ, then there shall be fruit. There will be evidence. And if we are uh, of the same, joined to the same thing, if we are joined to a vine, then the fruit on the branch will be from the source of that vine. It will come, it will be of the same kind. And so if we are joined to Christ, then in our life, there will be a Christ-likeness. It won't be as much as it ought to be, or as much as we would like, but there will be a pale reflection, nonetheless, of him. We can look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. Do so we bring forth those fruits? But for the child of God, if they are joined to Him, then this is a strengthening word. Without Me, you can do nothing. The implication is, with, it, with Him, then all things can be done. Then, when they get to glory, when the end of their life comes, then they shall be with their Savior, and they shall be like their Savior. In Revelation twenty-one. There's a number of things that will not take place. No mores of heaven it has been called. No more sin, no more suffering, no more curse, no more sorrowing, no more tears. All of this has gone. There to behold the Saviour for eternity. And this is what awaits the child of God, the one that is joined to Christ. When we think about the church, <clears throat> the Lord is often spoken in different ways. Sometimes he's spoken of as being the head of the church or the bridegroom with the church being his bride. Another place he's spoken of as being the foundation, but all power and authority is committed to him and he will not allow his church to be lost or to be destroyed. Read Revelation chapter 1, there you'll see how he walks amongst his candlestick. He observes, he knows, he cares, and he loves. He has purchased his people with his own precious blood. Outside of him we can do nothing. Outside of him all is lost and despairing. But in him what comfort, joy, and future We have. We can look around and we can become discouraged by the state of the world, the state of our nation, the state of our church, the state of our hearts. We can see wickedness on every side. We can see the folly and the downgrade in the church and nation. And it can be easy for us to throw our hands up in the air and say, well, it's all impossible. Let's give up. Well, all hope is not gone. Christ is King. His church is joined to him. We, if we are his, are joined to him and therefore we will be presented faultless, without spot and blemish. As we look back and as we look around, there is much to cause despair. But as we look to Christ, we have an answer for every issue, every problem and every difficulty. There is no problem that is too great for his power. There's no situation that is too complex for his wisdom. There's no heart that is too hard for his mercy. There is no case which is too lost for his compassion. There's no church that's too small that can't be strengthened and built up. There's no minister that's too fatigued and downcast that cannot be raised up and given all that is needed. We need to remember these words. That it's not by our strength, our power, our wisdom, our might. We're reminded by our Saviour, without me ye can do nothing. Therefore depend upon him for all things. The hymn writer Joseph Hart wrote these words How good is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend. His love is as great as. Has his power and knows neither measure nor end for Christ is the first and the last his spirit will guide us safe home we'll praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that's to come Amen